The Last Word with Matt Cooper. What do you expect of this year in politics and how will it impact on your life? Is it going to make you feel safer? Is it going to make you feel better off? Is it going to give you a home to live in? These are all the things we're going to discuss with our regular political experts, Daniel McConnell, who is the editor of the Business Post, and Gary Murphy, Professor of Politics at the School of Law and Government in Dublin City University and also a columnist with the Irish edition of the Sunday Times. Good to see you both. A few months ago, if we were looking forward to 2024 and the European local elections and the possibility of a general election, we might have thought of housing as the major issue. Is it, Daniel, now immigration? Migration is certainly one of the top two issues, I think, coming into the next general election. I think the firing rings end at the weekend. I think the previous fire in Galway two weeks ago and the reaction, the political reaction to that. Uh, I think has given just I think just typifies and kind of crystallizes that that it is emerging as an issue. I think there's a revolution almost waiting to happen in the ballot box. Um, we tend not to take to the streets by and large and protest like they do in continental Europe. We tend to do our revolutions in the ballot box. We've done it. We did it in 2011 when we basically destroyed Fianna Fáil as a large majority party as a society. Um, and I think the the topic of immigration might quietly just become the defining issue of the local and European elections because it'll be the first election that that by and large people will have a chance to, to vent their vent their fury. But Gary Murphy, to whose benefit? I think that's the big question, Matt. I mean, I, I think you have to link immigration with housing. Um, and those people who are agitating, um, far right, one might call them, and, and although there's a question about the definition of what exactly does it mean to be uh, far right, but you can, you know, there are questions, I think, clearly about um, homelessness, which is still the numbers are going up. Um, people on waiting lists for years in some place in, in some cases um, and then the, the, the inextricable link between that and politics and trying to solve the housing crisis trying to solve or, I won't say solve the immigration crisis but trying to have some sort of system that seems fair to immigrants those who want to come to our country and contribute um, and those who are here already and I think that's a very tricky sort of dichotomy to, to, to fix uh, for politicians and I do think we are seeing the sort of fraying within the main political parties. But hold on, isn't it the case that there hasn't been a single house has gone to an immigrant who came in but, for Ukraine or have come under the international protection system that for all of the rumours and the myths put around the place not one single house has been denied to an Irish person by providing for those people. Uh, indeed, but if you were to look at, well, you know, go online uh, to, to X or Twitter or whatever it's called, um, that narrative is there. You know, hashtag Ireland is uh, is full, um, to, to quote it. Um, but it is becoming, I think, as Danny says, becoming increasingly important uh, politically. And we are getting, I think, some solar runs uh, as the local elections come near from people in the, in the three big political parties, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, going against the general narrative of those three political parties uh, as it uh, as it stands. And you also had the Labour Party. I heard Ivana Batchik on Morning Ireland this morning. There was a query about one of her uh, her councillors who, who had done a sort of a solar run and then apologised. Um, but I think we're getting the fraying now of the, the standard narrative uh, that, you know, Ireland, it was Ireland of the welcomes, one, yeah. might, but one, Daniel, one might say. It's not just people at local level in the political parties. It's the Sinn Féin leader herself, Mary Lou MacDonald, in interviews before Christmas on a couple of issues, she linked 
the unavailability of housing mm-hmm. to immigrants coming in, yeah. and that is simply not the case. She also raised the issue, not just of stopping further immigrants coming into the country, but of actively expelling Ukrainians from March 2025 if they didn't fulfil certain work criteria. It's a remarkably... It's a remarkable shift in tone from Sinn Féin over the last uh, few months. And, and those interviews that you refer to, I think, reflect, I think, Sinn Féin very concerned about being outflanked on their own left or right side as well. Because, you know, they have outflanked, they have succeeded in outflanking Sinn Féin, or out, outflanking Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael on issues like water charges and, and on populism in terms of cost of living. They, like, they reaped an awful lot of political hay on the cost of living crisis for almost a year without any sort of real kind of fight back from the government. Um, but on this issue, that they are nervous and they are, you can see it, they, they, are, or they are nervous that the, the promised land of a 30% plus Sinn Féin result at the next general election is now under jeopardy because, you know, they're seen as you know, almost too soft or were seen as too soft on, on the migrants issue. Therefore, you get articulations from Mary Lou Macdonald that she's now talking that Ireland now needs to tighten up. You know, if the government had said this six months ago, Sinn Féin would have been all over them. In, attacking know, in, them attacking for making them. those comments. Absolutely. So I think what you're seeing now is Sinn Féin, and I think Sinn Féin have had a bad few months as well. They, f- they, found, like they, they were definitely found uh, to have misstepped in relation to the calls for Helen McEntee and Drew Harris to resign so quickly. Like to be standing at the top of Parnell Square less than 24 hours after the, the riots had happened, to be calling for the Justice Minister and the, the Garda Commissioner to resign, and the playing out of that motion of confidence in the doll backfired on them politically. Why did it backfire? Because I think what it, it, it I think it struck an awful lot of people as overly populist, too real. As in rewarding the rioters. Yeah. Yeah. But it also, it also galvanised what was a pretty tepid and torpor, torpid uh, government. I mean, Fine Gael had risen from their sort of slumbers to attack Sinn Féin uh, because of its links with the uh, with the IRA. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I listened uh, to that doll debate and one, one Fine Gaeler after another stood up and was very animated. I hadn't seen Fine Gael animated. Does that matter to any voters? Probably not. But I mean, it, at least it put a little bit of belly, fire into yeah. the belly of Fine Gael, who had basically all but given up, it seemed yeah. to me. And I, I, and I would agree with Danny that it did backfire but it, because it did give a, the, the government rallied around the ministers as they always will in, yeah. in no confidence motions I and think, I think that said something I think what will matter to Sinn Féin is that they, they're, according to our Red Sea polling their support peaked in April 2022 at 36% they're now at 29% and there's been a consistent kind of sliding backwards but what has been more interesting is the drift away of younger voters from Sinn Féin, the very people who people thought would vote for Sinn Féin, lock, stock and barrel, they're the ones drifting away from Sinn Féin in re- more recent months. That is a cause of concern. So Gary, of course, these opinion polls may have no relevance on the eventual outcome in a general election because general election counts in recent years have gone completely at odds with was in the opinion polls. But does it suggest that Sinn Féin's support, while they may have taken it as an endorsement for things that it believes in, like a united Ireland and its position in housing, was actually a softer anti-establishment vote and if other anti-establishment figures present themselves be it as independents or as minority parties, they could erode what might have been a Sinn Féin vote. Yes, uh, I mean there were, there were, yes Matt I think that's right, there, were, like, there was a, obviously a very <coughs> stable predictability about Irish politics until the 2011 uh, crash and the, the, the electoral volatility and we saw it no more than in the 2019 elections when we were in the studio discussing them and eight months later we were back discussing this enormous rise for Sinn Féin which had come out of the blue, they benefited from the government making a hames of the RIC commemorations, the 100th anniversary there. Um, Charlie Flanagan uh, factor. And the whole thing went sort of pear-shaped and the government didn't really give anyone, well, the, the Fianna Gael part uh, of, the, of the 2016 
confidence and supply government gave no one really uh, they didn't give the public a, a reason to vote uh, for it so they went uh, they went elsewhere mm. um, so I would think Campaigns are really important. I mean, on Danny's point about the the the, the, the softening of the uh, of the Sinn Fein vote, which what I would agree. I mean, I don't. I think there's probably at least twenty five percent who will vote Sinn Fein, uh, no matter what. And then it's like, can you get the extra ten percent? Um, but you have to give people a reason uh, to vote for it. Beyond, oh, you know, we're against the government, and we can solve the cost of living crisis, and we can solve the housing crisis without saying how exactly you're going, uh, you're going to do that. But I, I think campaigns are now much more important, and I think this is where Oli of Radger has the really crucial decision of his. Political political uh, life. We know that the 2020 election, he didn't want to call it when he did in January, forced into when Fianna Fáil were antsy about confidence and supply. There was the no confidence motion on Simon Harris. He went to the country, campaigned disastrously. Um, now he has the opportunity to, and I think he should go earlier, and then leave it drift out into this time next year when there's Before a sort the of... In, I would go, yeah, I would go quicker. I wrote about this last Sunday. Uh, on the ground was that you want to get ahead of the curve. So let's say now, now we know local and European elections can sometimes be referendums on the government, give the government a good kicking. If you go before, right, you don't then have the inevitability of defeat if you have a bad local and European uh, elections. Um, the government's been in place for, well, three and a half years because it took so long to negotiate. Uh, but I think there's something in summer election and the Taoiseach saying, this is why I'm going to the country and this is why you should re-elect me. Okay, what about the cost of living issues, which an awful lot of our listeners get in touch about and have been doing over the last year? Will the easing of those actually help the government? And why is it that the government doesn't seem to have received much appreciation for things like the energy credits and other measures? It's amazing if you were to put in context the amount of money the government has unleashed in terms of extraordinary additional or once-off spending over the last two or three years since COVID. The government obviously of the day did get a, a recognition. I think during COVID-19 there was such extraordinary levels of support to stop businesses going under there was, you know, the addition, there was the 350 euro a week pandemic unemployment payment, which a lot of people who really didn't deserve it got it, but they just said, listen, let's, let's spread the money. That has morphed into the kind of cost of living supports, which have been less generous, but still not insignificant, like the energy credits. It's funny, the, the thing that probably landed most, or the issue that probably landed most tangibly for, for voters the last two years or so was the free school books, a relatively small amount of money, but that's one that a lot of people still talk about, and it's the one that actually government got a noticeable lift out of. What, but what has, I think what Pascal Dunning and Michael McGrath have, have been saying internally, we have spent on all this extra money and we haven't gotten really any political bounce. So we need to be a lot more smarter about how we spend our money going forward. We can't just throw money at everything and think people are going to flock to us. I think Fine Gael, by and large, are suffering from the fact, uh, just a natural fatigue. They've been in office since 2011. Faces like Varadkar, Coveney, Dunahoo have been, and Heather Humphreys have been around the table since 2014, if not earlier. You know, so there's an end, like, we're just sick of hearing them, sick of seeing them. And, and there is a kind of a sense, particularly if you're 29, 30, you're still living at home, you can't get a house. You know, these people have not looked after your needs in terms of getting on the property market. How about the other lads? They might have a go at it. But then, Gary Murphy, will it change your government? Sort out the property market. Will it make houses any cheaper to buy? Will it bring rents down? Uh, no, I think it's the answer to all those questions, Matt. Because uh, governments can only do so much. And, and I think one of the problems with Fianna Gael, um, who in one ways have sort of betrayed their sort of heritage as being on the, the so-called soft centre-right uh, centre by 
trying to in many ways. I mean, I remember once uh, there was a, a leak, maybe Danny had it, uh, from a Fine Gael uh, parliamentary party uh, where I think it was Charlie Flanagan complained that we were being more Trotskyites than the Trotskyists and uh, the Richard Boyd Barrett and Paul Murphys of this world by spending money, you know, hand over fist. And uh, and that was never Fine Gael. Fine Gael was, that was never their policy. They were always a party of so-called uh, sound money. Um, so, but yeah, but governments can only do so much and I think there is an unrealistic expectation perhaps being fueled by the opposition that governments can solve things and you know when people like David Cullinan Owen O'Brien if they get into power I think they will soon find and they probably know this already uh, that easy solutions aren't uh, well it's very notable that O'Brien is already saying it'll take him two terms to fix the housing prices well Mary Lou MacDonald herself said it would take two terms uh, when I think she gave a big interview last year um, that it would take two terms to to fix the mess that this government had Mm. uh, had created and uh, I think that's the big question I mean yeah Fine Gael have been in power a long time and there is a general fatigue but also elections I think are still there to be won uh, and Varadkar, you know, if you look at him since 2017, when he won that, uh, when he won be that leadership election over Simon Coveney, he was the the boy wonder who would take Fine Gael to even greater heights. And but it's gone downhill spectacularly uh, since then. And so I think this is a defining decision in terms of when to call the election, but also on how he. Uh, how he fights it and what the results uh, results are, Matt. Okay, we need to take a break. Gary Murphy and Daniel McConnell are staying with us and we're going to continue discussing what we can expect from the year ahead in politics when we come back after the traffic of Mark Hogan. We're looking forward to the political year ahead with Daniel McConnell, editor of the Business Post, and Gary Murphy, professor of politics at the School of Law and Government in DCU, also columnist with the Irish edition of the Sunday Times. Climate change and global warming is something we've discussed a lot in this programme with our regular Thursday slot with John Gibbons and on other days as well. How much of a political issue do you think is it going to be in rural Ireland for the local and European elections and for the general election? Uh, I think it's a significant issue because I think what you've seen of the la- in this government and uh, the lifetime of this government is Eamon Ryan and the Greens become the bet noir of not only the rural independence, you know, they literally on a daily basis will get up and say Eamon Ryan is the sole destroyer of all things rural Ireland. But you've plenty of people within Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael who are also very angry at the Greens. I mean, there have been countless rows between the likes of Willie O'Dea and Eamon Ryan and people within Fianna Gael and, and, Willie, and Eamon Ryan for slowing, for delaying road projects, you know, the long committed road projects, which are the, the, they're one of the most tangible things a TD can show the circumstitions about progress. Like, you know, Willie O'Dea famously said at one of his to Eamon Ryan, you know, don't piss down my neck and tell me it's raining, you know, over a delay of a, of a road in Limerick. Now, ultimately, Eamon Ryan had to back down on that particular road, but he's blocked quite, there's still about 10 or 12 rows, key road projects that have been blocked. So there's a very real row and kind of tension emerging and the Greens, Eamon Ryan in his pre-Christmas kind of roundup said, like, the Greens, I suppose, uh, willingness to stay in government is only there and it's contingent on the ability to meet all their, their climate uh, objectives, but I don't see that squaring with, with the, the needs of, of Fianna Fáil. But, but Fianna Gary, Fianna even needs. if the Greens were to be wiped out in the elections, would it make any difference to it than incoming government's policy decisions given the requirements that we have to reduce emissions by 2030? Uh, no, I, I think it would, Matt. I, I think there would be a much more, there's much more energy about climate action with the Greens in power uh, than not, would seem to me. And I think that would continue. And I, I agree with everything that Danny says, but with the big caveat that there is a huge floating youth vote we know, we know there's no loyalty, there's promiscuity all across the political uh, spectrum. And, um, and that vote 
could go green. I mean, I see it with my own students. They they, they are they're worried about climate change. Uh, no, it doesn't stop them travelling internationally to Canada and the States and Thailand for the summer. Are having not. all their clothes delivered well, from indeed, China? It, 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 it certainly doesn't, but they are they are worried about it. And I, I think there is a large floating vote now. You know, we're a year out from the election at most probably. And do I give the Greens a chance of coming back with all their seats? Probably not. And I think if you look... I, uh, Roderick O'Gorman in my own constituency in Dublin West I think his seat's obviously at grave risk although there's an extra seat um, literally every green seat but maybe the exception of Eamon Ryan and Catherine Martin might be under uh, pressure but they might pick up one or two um, but I do know and I, I think it's, it's clear from polling that climate change uh, is a big issue for uh, for young people and it's a vote there that is there to be won but What about something that's come up today with Senator Malcolm Byrne of Fianna Fáil wanting an Eructus Committee set up an artificial intelligence and mainly because of the fear of Things been said and published online are going on rumours and incorrect facts and somehow maybe also manipulating the casting and counting of votes. Well, not yeah, really yeah, possible, yeah. is it? Well, I, I, I'm not sure how possible it is, but I do know that electoral integrity is something that has worried governments all across the, uh, the democratic world and I don't think we should be any different uh, here because if artificial intelligence is making an impact and across all sectors of society, why would it be different for, for, for elections and for the casting of, uh, of votes? I do know the Electoral Commission is also concerned uh, about so-called fake news, uh, because this can have a big impact on, um, uh, on voters, on voters' choices. Where do they get their news from? A lot of young people, again, get their news nearly, nearly uh, all the time online, and if you're like scrolling through X or Instagram or whatever, and you're giving, you see, then there's fake news. How do you know it's fake news? And I think that's a big issue for, uh, for for the electoral commission. There's the buying of ads, the paying of ads, and I think we might see this in the referendums come mm. come March um, from those who are particularly anti uh, the referendum, like we saw in terms of uh, the uh, the abortion referendum of uh, of 2018. So I I think the government and the both the electoral commission and the media is that the media commission is that what it's called are, are right to be concerned about electoral integrity. What do you think of that, Daniel? McCullough? Yeah, I, I mean. On one level, you could dismiss it because there's calls for a new committee to be set up almost every week on a, on a particular topic. But AI, when I question, is it becoming all pervasive? We're seeing it in journalism, you know, we're seeing it in every industry, we're seeing it in... All professionals. All professionals. Accountancy, mm. so, law, yeah, whatever. Yeah. The only problem is the, the state in Ireland is so far behind anything to do with digitalisation. Like, we're, like the, the state just simply isn't kind of ready for it. Like The idea of setting up a commitment or a committee in isolation... Is, would probably achieve quite little. But I think if it was a forum for us to actually have a national conversation around the impact of AI, tease out actually what is the impact. Not only, like, for example, is AI going to be used in the Attorney General's office in terms of drafting of legislation? Will it be used in the courts in terms of speeding up the, the, the turning around of judgments, etc. like that? I mean, is, are there ways that it can actually be used in a positive to speed the system up? Or is there are there just genuine concerns around quality control and, and misinformation? You mentioned digitisation, which is also another failure of the health system. What about the argument that has been made that actually things have improved in the health system and that the government is not given credit for it? It's very hard, I suppose, when we have, as long as I've been in journalism, you've been fed this narrative that the health system is broken, you know, famously coined by uh, Brian Cowan as Angola, um, not to reference the book that Gary's due to write in due course about the said <laughs> former Taoiseach, uh, um, or available in all Because of landmines, wasn't it? Because you would be tripped up on the landmines yeah. as you were walking uh, through it. Yeah. But I, I think, and Stephen Donnelly, and, you know, since he's gone in, has certainly been very assertive in trying to articulate the positive. You know, even today, there was a tweet out saying, for every five people on a, waiting, on a trolley waiting this time last year, there's only two. 
like it's not a great metric to kind of say that you're still an awful lot too of too many but too better, many, than five. better than five you know um, but the problem is if you're the if you're a relative out of one of the two you're saying the health service is bust um, and I'm going to give somebody else a chance. Yeah. The narrative we, we discussed earlier in terms of the longevity of, uh, uh, of Fianna Gael. Now, Fianna Fáil hold the two crucial portfolios for the election as far as I can see, housing and um, mm-hmm. and health, uh, Stephen Donnelly and Dara O'Brien, um, and maybe on their heads, uh, Fianna Fáil stands. I think the health will continue to be a problem as long as large parts of the health service run on a 9 to 5, Monday to Friday basis, if we can move to a proper 7 to 7 or 7, 24-7 rotations, like I had... How to, many years have we been saying that? I remember I went in for... A, I had my appendix out. I scoped for a follow scan in the gastro unit in the Matter Hospital and I was the last patient in at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I said, this is a lovely spanking unit, you know, that's been open. And they all said, yeah, we'll see you on Monday. It's like closed for the entire weekend. That should not happen in a tier one hospital in the middle of our city. But our maybe, city. maybe it's Pascal Dunne who isn't given Stephen Donnelly's budget to keep it open for the weekend. Well, uh, ten years ago the health budget was twelve billion. It's now twenty four billion. You know, we don't have twice the health service we had. 10 years ago. And I think amongst the highest spend in, in Europe uh, per, per capita, I think uh, health spending, so I'm not sure health spending is the uh, is the problem, it's how the spending is actually being used. And the health service, again, for as long as I've been discussing, Matt, on this programme, um, has constantly worked in sort of silos. Isn't this half the problem? We, the consultants aren't talking to nurse managers and bed managers and the like, and the whole thing sort of grinds to a halt. No. You know, again, those people who use the health service, it's really very good for for the most part. If well, you well, get into it. If you're in, if you're into it, it's really good. But again, we have this, we have a two-tier system and that's not going to go away, notwithstanding some efforts by Sinn Féin to talk about an Irish equivalent of the NHS, but the NHS itself is... The NHS is Exactly. Okay, so. listen, we will have so much to talk to over the course of the year. Looking forward to your company on many occasions as we build up towards the local and European elections, which we know will be in June, and the general election, whenever that may be. In March. And it's most likely <laughs> to be 2024. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30. Today and-